News. 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 New York City. FAQ. Welcome to FAQ NYC. I'm producer Alex Brooklyn here with Ozzy Pabra, Harry Siegel, and Christina Greer. Scott Stringer is our guest today. He is NYC's comptroller and the second most powerful elected official in the city. The first most powerful, of course, is mayor. As comptroller, Scott watches the billions in pensions, cuts the actual checks, and Scott gets to probe really anything involving public money. This guy hoofed up to our fourth floor studio inside my rent-stabilized apartment. Yeah, man! To talk about how the rent is way too damn high, and his big new plan coming soon to make it affordable again. Mitchell Lama 2, he calls it. Mitchell Lama, in case you don't know, is a state program that started in the 1950s. It was the deal that got private developers to create over 100,000 actually affordable units that stayed that way for decades, like units that were offered to New Yorkers on a sliding scale basis. Scott and the gang also gabbed about New York's shelter system and the working poor, why wealth isn't getting shared in gentrifying neighborhoods, and what it's like to be the older guy in the room with all these young super left representatives that just beat out a bunch of older right-wingish democrats scott was the first big new york city democrat to see the big blue wave coming he was one of the first to go with the anti-idc challengers who swept out six state senate incumbents now scott is looking to support these kids as they try to flip the senate in new york state all the way blue in november This is huge. What's possible in New York is about to change, bigly. And Stringer was the first guy to bet on that change. F-A-Q. Scott Stringer, welcome to F-A-Q. You made it all the way up the stairs. It was a very easy jaunt up the stairs, thank you. And you brought a studio audience, our first with us? I did, I have uh, our press secretary and our chief of staff. I did not come alone to this four-story walk up. And a very, very large gentleman who's at the door. (laughs) Yes. It's a complicated life. (laughs) This is the first time we've ever done a podcast with, uh, you know, Secret Service (laughs) and security watching us. So so that makes me feel safe. And another thing that makes me feel differently is uh, we have all of this change coming to Albany, which you spent a couple years there. It's not always a place that changes very quickly. And you're sort of early seeing this coming. You want to talk about where we're at and uh, what this is going to mean for New York? Well, look, I... Uh, I served for 13 years in the state assembly before I was paroled to be borough president, and uh, and I, I, I mean that as a joke. But look, Albany is a, is a difficult place and has been for some time. Some of the best and the brightest go to Albany thinking that he or she can change the world, and legislation dies in the middle of the night or is never heard, and that has been sort of the tradition there. Uh, when I was, uh, can I, I just ask you who, yeah. whose fault is that when that happens? Well, I, listen, I think it's the fault of the collective system. And so here we are with a real opportunity now to reform the system and change the ways of Albany. And I think the stakes have never been higher. Now, why is it such a real opportunity right now? Because I do believe we're going to have a new opportunity to have a Democratic majority in the Senate. And that's going to unblock a lot of critical legislation that would help people in need, uh, it would help our city and getting rid of the core of the IDC members, those were the senators who got elected as Democrats, voted as Republicans, now that they've all been overwhelmingly defeated, ousted by some incredible young candidates who got elected, uh, 
think about uh, Alessandra Biaggi and Jessica Ramos, Bob Jackson, who's you know a warrior for a long mm -hmm. time on education issues, really have an opportunity to make change there because the voters have given them a mandate. Mm -hmm. um, you were early in your support for those IDC challengers, and that meant opposing some of your colleagues, so, some of the people you had worked with in Albany that you knew, Jeff Klein being one of them, you, I think you were in the assembly with him. Mm -hmm. Can you just walk us through exactly why you thought this was the moment to do it rather than maybe 2014 or, or right after it was formed in 2011? First of all, for me, this, was, this wasn't my first rodeo. I've always taken the view that if you've been in elective office and you have some political influence, you have to make a decision how to use it. And over the last few years, I felt that if we're going to really empower change, and if we're really going to empower people, uh, folks like me have to engage. And so that's why I supported Eulene New uh, in the race to succeed Shelley Silver. The deck was stacked against her. You know, the county committee that everyone talks about, Silver controlled that. She ran and then ran in a, prime, a special election, lost, and then we came back and she won. Uh, Neely Rosick out in Queens, a great young assemblywoman, great but future. Can I just rewind a little bit yeah. on, on Silver? You had supported him after you left the assembly, and he was part of the system that you just said was problematic. Like, why not sort of say, Mr. Silver, it's time to go? I mean, well, supporting an, an opponent to him after the challenges, after the legal stuff, the indictments. Well, but, no, once, once he was in that situation, mm -hmm. he resigned. Right. Or he chose not to run again. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the opportunity to make sure that the continuation of that uh, of that organization did not did not continue, and that's what I did, and I was very happy to do it. But I think that we all have to own up to the fact that our own term in office is not forever, and you're judged as much by your record uh, as, and also by the people who will follow you. And I feel very strongly about that. And. These candidates, I, I am telling the world on this podcast, they're going to do amazing work, and some of them are going to end up in real positions of leadership in our city and our state, and I think that's good for my children, who will be represented by them uh, decades from now. Now, do you think that they'll be able to be productive, though? Like, is there a structural problem going on in Albany, where, you know, you take young, interesting ideas and people, and they go up there and it, you know, possibly become stagnant. So I, I understand the optimism, but is there an institutional problem that's going on up there? And, and is it, honestly, is it an Andrew Cuomo problem as well? Well, look, the, first of all, the, the rules of the legislature, as much as we tried to reform them, which was a very lonely fight back <laughs> in the day, and I'm not suggesting that while I was there we made wholesale change, although we moved the needle more than anyone thought, I do think rules reform should be on the agenda. We have got to have campaign finance reform. How does a guy run for re-election to the state senate and spends $3 million trying to get re-elected? I'm not sure that if we sat around with a budget right now, and I've done a couple of campaigns <laughs> in my day, mm -hmm. I could spend $3 million in a state senate race. This is uh, Jeff Klein. This is Jeff Klein. It was just led the IDC and was just ousted by, by Alessandro Biagi in, in an incredible generational, yeah. almost biblical saga. It, it was it was a remarkable race between the next generation and the old guard. Look, we did a house party 
uh, at my mom's house because even though Jeff Klein put out literature saying that I was a, yeah. I, I was a foreigner, I shouldn't be allowed to be in Rivendell even though you I represent... You and Corey Johnson. Yes, yes, the two of us, we were foreigners. We, we shouldn't participate in the electoral process. But I did a, a house party with her at my mom's house, my stepdad's house. It was great. 50 people showed up and they were thirsting mm-hmm. for the new politics. They wanted to hear how their lives could be better through Albany. And it was just a great night. And I said to myself, she's going to win this because the voting, voters are changing. They're paying attention. And then all over the city, we've had this amazing turnout all over the state. So, yes, I look at the glass half, uh, half full. And, and I want to see if we can build on this. I think what, what, what Chris, what you started talking about, the structural changes, gets into a conversation about the general election. We just went through the primaries, and if I know you, Mr. Stringer... Um, you can call me Scott. Well, it's oh, that's right. All right. It's, it's a podcast. It's a podcast. I, I forgot. But if, if, if we were to draw a circle between your apartment, we're not going to say exactly where it is, but it's in Manhattan, mm-hmm. to your office by City Hall, mm-hmm. and probably to your favorite place to get coffee, Lenny's, Bagel, any, any one of those... You do your homework. We try. Wow. But if, if we were to draw a circle between those three places or a triangle, there's a good chance you don't run into a single person who is not a Democrat. So how does somebody like you that can live in that world if you want, how much of an interest do you have in the general election? And what races in New York are you following that matter? Oh, Ozzy. Well, first of all, um, I do admit it's a good day when you know I can spend my day with like-minded Democrats and... <laughs> progressives who want to change the world, who are right. upset with Donald Trump and want a Democratic Congress. But the November election is the whole is the whole ballgame. Um, we took care of what we had to deal with in terms of the IDC members, but that's just step one. We have congressional seats in play. Delgado versus Faso, for example. Foreshadowing alert. I think that's a foreshadow. 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 Delgado versus Faso will be addressed in future episodes of FAQ. These races could determine the future of America, and a lot of this will be decided in New York State. And so we have still have to make sure we get a Democratic majority in the state Senate. And there are those upstate congressional races. So I think we've got a lot of work to do. There are Democrats and there are Republicans. And the Republicans who embrace Trump embrace all the things that this country has never been about or should be about. And we have an opportunity to change that in right here uh, with our neighbors. So you say there are Democrats and Republicans. This may not be true functionally for Albany and New York any longer. What's at stake with that for New York City? And what are the things that upstate really does have reasonable concerns about and where this potential new Democratic majority is going to need to exercise some caution or restraint? Because Republicans have been a proxy for the interests of the rest of the state against us. And I expect that Flanagan and others are going to get very nasty in this last stand to hold the Senate. Look, look, at the end of the day, the Democratic Party obviously has to expand beyond, you know, a hardcore progressive base. But that's what we're always supposed to do. And I think the, and the anti-IDC <laughs> members, I think, understand that it's important to maintain a majority and there will have to be consideration to that. But when you look at the economic opportunities in upstate New York, unfortunately, it's been a wasteland. And we do need to have a statewide uh, economic development program that is based on some real strategy and some long-term planning. Much of what I talk about for New York City, I think you can apply to the state. 
And, uh, and then when it comes to the suburbs, we also have to make sure that you know the commuter lines and the way in which we move people uh, from Long Island to the city. In our United States, about half of the people live in cities and their suburbs. Between these cities has grown a network of transportation arteries to carry men and goods in a steady flow of commerce. Largest of these cities is New York. Largest, largest. This is Manhattan, business center of New York City. Millions pour into the area every day to buy and sell, to manufacture clothes, to run banks and brokerage firms, to handle imports and wholesale goods. But where do all these people come from? And how do they get here? We need to come up with a way to unite those two constituencies to embrace a real transit system, and that's congestion pricing, that's some of the other ways to look at things, and I'm going to be controversial in the sense that, look, we have never been whole economically as a city. Some of the people who work in Manhattan live in apartment houses and other sections of the city, others in single-family houses out in the suburbs. When Silver and Company did away with the commuter tax over some silly, stupid race for Rockland County State Senate, it was an abomination. I was in the assembly then, obviously I voted against it, and we've never been whole. We've lost billions of dollars, and if we really had guts in Albany, we would reinstitute the commuter tax and earmark it to a transit lockbox. Now, I don't know, people tell me it can't be done, and but look, we've got to recalculate this because this is hurting suburban commuters as well as New York City commuters, and we have to be bold about coming up with a revenue stream. This was a revenue stream. I, I remember this debate in Albany, and I asked some of my colleagues at the time, you can't lose the commuter tax because it really is what you pay for the services you incur by working in the city. Manhattan acts like a heart and draws in the workers from their homes in the surrounding areas. I never forget one legislator saying to me, oh, no, 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 if there's ever an issue, if New York City ever had a budget gap or some real issue, we would reinstate it automatically. Okay. Right. After 9-11, I asked the same question. Mm -hmm. And no one would stand up and reissue the commuter tax. So before Harry and Ozzy get in the weeds, because I know that they, <laughs> they'll go in the weeds with the commuter tax and housing and everything else, I do want to just quickly ask, you know, I, I sense your excitement about this kind of young, new, progressive generation that's going to Albany and does that ever make you nervous with this idea that you know it seems as though Democrats right now want new people possibly inexperienced people people who are somewhat outside of the system you know we're putting people in very important positions at 30 32 years old much like when you started and you were a young right. snapper you know you were in Albany over a decade you were borough president now you're controller you know does that ever keep you up at night thinking about uh, the next generation. Oh, I'm going to I'm going to empower this generation mm -hmm. because that's what makes government better. Look, I started getting interested in politics at a unusually young age. Um, I was 12 years old when my cousin Bella Abzug ran for Congress. I worked in that campaign. Uh, I got to see firsthand the power of the women's movement, the anti-war movement. I got signatures to impeach Nixon. By the time I was 14, I was in the Marianne Krupsack, Lieutenant Governor campaign, electing the first woman Lieutenant Governor in the state. And I've always said that we have to empower uh, a diverse generation of people to be in office. And I will continue to want to serve in office, provided that I can continue to make a contribution. I don't think it has to be about me versus 
new people, why not embrace new people and collectively work for change? And while I'm not trying to, you know, be the, you know, to try to look at Bernie Sanders, although having a guy with gray hair who's 20 years older than me, I mean, he's not slowing down, I'm not slowing down. That should have been... A that laugh a, line. Like, that was a good laugh line. Like, <laughs> my chief staff should have said something. Like that. The studio audience. <laughs> Just sticking with Chrissy's point, do you think that the younger people who are about to come into office, do you think they value tenure and experience? Listen, to be a new elected official is to want to lead the charge for change, to change, right. especially for your generation. My analysis of where this economy is it's not for our millennial young future leaders. People are doing worse than their parents did. Uh, young people are having a tough time in this economy. The entrance fee to New York City is a $2 million condo. And every young person, they don't want to live in Iowa or Idaho or some of these far off places. They want to be here in New York doing you know, the gritty entrepreneurial work and, and public service that they do. So it's important that we create an opportunity for young people to serve in, in politics. You know, Alexandra uh, Ocasio-Cortez is a symbol of being a leader and ushering another generation. We should be applauding this and embracing it. Part of being an elected official is learning how to work the right. system, but I had to learn it when I was 30 and they will learn it as well. These are very smart, bright, committed activists, and I'm looking forward to working with people to expand opportunity for people to run for office. It would be nice to have campaign finance so we can level the playing field. So to help young people who want to stay in New York, you just came out with a report about affordable housing. September 2018, Scott Stringer's office just came out with a new report on affordable housing. And apparently, since 2005, the city has lost 425,492 units that cost 900 or under. Erased from the city landscape. And, and we're recording in a rent-stabilized apartment right now. A fourth floor so, walk-up yes. uh, rent-stabilized apartment. A perfect place to discuss this. Where, yes, which requires a trainer, which I have, so we, <laughs> we are, just for the record. Uh, but Harry did very Your well. Your security didn't carry you up? Ariana <laughs> <laughs> I was going to carry Harry up, but he, he just ran up the stairs because he's so excited about this podcast. He heard there was coffee. That's right. Oh, Harry used to live here, too. <laughs> oh, really? Facts come out in this show. You never know. This is, this is I'm coming back as a host for at least one of these episodes. How do you think, how do you, how do you think we're at the hole in the wall? Well, I was going <laughs> to... I thought that was uh, some former elected official that no, didn't quite make it. But, there, yeah. there is an actual hole in the wall for people who may not be able to see this yes. because it's a, a podcast, a oh. gigantic sledgehammered wall. Do not tell the landlord. <laughs> yes. Fair enough. So, but to your point about the report, which is very yeah. serious, uh, we have a affordability housing crisis the likes we've never seen. We have a housing plan as worthy and as complimentary I am of the mayor's effort to build affordable housing for a lot of this housing. Unfortunately, the housing that's being built that's affordable is unaffordable for the communities where the rezonings are taking place. So why are we building unaffordable affordable housing? We have to change that model. I'm going to be speaking about this. Uh, in the weeks ahead. Um, we need to go back to what LaGuardia, Mayor LaGuardia did back in the 1930s when he built uh, public housing. It was for the people who needed that housing the most, the poorest people in the city, and it was aspirational because once you had a NYCHA apartment back then, you were on your way to the middle class. 
That was true with the Michelama housing program that was built in the 50s and 60s. You know, people coming home from the war, starting families, and this was really middle-class housing. And the people who built it were a combination of community organizations and developers who would take a reasonable profit, right? And some tax abatements and the like. Koch took all our abandoned buildings, and while I don't agree with everything he did, he gave that those abandoned buildings to community-based organizations, and we built another generation of housing primarily in the Bronx. We're very grateful to have a leader such as Mayor Koch. Mayor Koch. People think nothing good ever happens in the South Bronx, but throughout the South Bronx, new homes are being built. So our coalition went to Ed Koch and asked for better housing. Next month, they're going to start building new homes for our community. The city supplied the money and support, but the real credit goes to the people here whose hard work and determination have made it all happen. The South Bronx is coming back. South South Bronx is coming back. Coming back. Now, we're here, it's 2018. What is the massive housing program, responsible massive housing program that we need to meet the challenges of the people who live in shelters? Remember, 30% of the people who live in shelters actually have jobs. They cannot right. find an affordable apartment. We are spending $100 million a year putting families with children in commercial hotels. So our housing plan has got to be refreshed and reconfigured. I'm not saying that the mayor's plan is not worthy. He has built and has some very important housing in this city. But we have to think bigger going into the future. And I would add, uh, especially with a Charter Revision Commission now formed again, that we have an opportunity to also build this new generation of housing working with communities through the lens of community-based planning. I'm confused about a couple of things here. That's why I'm here. The examples you gave of these big ambitious programs happen with generous support from Washington. Mm -hmm. So I'd say FDR ahead of LaGuardia, right? Koch's plan in a different area was all this property has been abandoned and we're way past that period now. There are not vacant lots around the city. Well, respectfully, that's not true. There, there are many less than there were, and there was a Bloomberg plan for doing something on some of the underused NYCHA land, as you know, Metro IF pushed for that. De Blasio refused politically and has now said, I have my own plan, which just, if you squint, is exactly the same as the previous plan for, for, for reutilizing some of that. But it, it, it's hard at this moment to see where a large pool of money to build things is coming from. And you said de Blasio built a lot of housing. In fact, a lot of housing got built by the private market with incentives right. from the, the city, and the city has not been in the building business. Are you saying it should be back in it, or, or what so, are you saying? Well, let me, we so, a couple things. First of all, we do have vacant land in the city. I've done, no, I've done multiple auditory. Uh, we identified 1,100 properties mm -hmm. uh, that are vacant. Not all can be used for affordable housing, but that is our land. Why not give it back to the people and for a good public purpose? When you have vacant land, and you can work with a not-for-profit, that's different than working with a developer who's probably a REIT who has huge debt service. So that means that we can't, they, they don't have the same ability to create really low rents. We do need to come up with a deeper subsidy and we need to create a revenue stream because that we cannot use the excuse that the federal government is not our ally. Look, no mayor is going to have the same LaGuardia-Roosevelt relationship. That's once in a multiple generations. New York's Mayor LaGuardia becomes America's civil defense chief, receiving his commission from President Roosevelt. It was FDR and Lefty Gomez on the mound for the Yankees. Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia got things underway. Babe Ruth was in the stand. But we do have an opportunity to set a template or set a foundation 
for when we do take back Congress and have a new president, but also there's a lot of ways that we can create revenue streams. I'm going to take a crack at a proposal shortly. It will be something that people may find I don't know, controversial or say, hey, let's explore this. But maintaining the status quo right now, we are creating a city for the very, very wealthy uh, and the very, very poor, and they are being squeezed as well. We need a we taste of what you're going to propose. Now that you brought up the proposal, you are, you, I just gave you, I just gave you the taste. So I mentioned where we have to get to. Your reporter antenna goes up immediately. You have ten questions. You dismiss it. You don't take it. You think it's same old, same old. Stay tuned for a proposal that I think will have merit. And basically, it's looking at what we did successfully in the past, but through a new funding lens. The stakes are high, folks. So what's the thesis sentence of the proposal? It's, it, it's essentially, I would call it Michelama two, But I have to be able to convince people and Part of my job as controller is to identify the fiscal problems in the city. One of the areas that we're focusing on is this whole notion that we have to have a larger planning process for our city. And um, the mayor has, I think, an opportunity now, working with communities, to look at some of the big issues that we're facing. So for example, we talk about gentrification. Harry, what's the first thing you think about when we say gentrification? Anybody? Oh, I think about white people, but <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I was going to say people that look like me. Okay, okay. That's fair. That's fair. White people, you're white. You're right. right. I, I think. I think. <laughs> that's a whole other that's episode. I'm confused. I, 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 Harry, what do you think? You think high rent. But we also have to think about the gentrification of jobs. So one of the areas that we're looking at now is not just the rising rents, but in a lot of our gentrified neighborhoods, and, and, and Christina, you're absolutely right, in our gentrified neighborhoods, in a report that we did, we looked at the fact that in these neighborhoods we see a rising white population of 19% because of the rising rent. So you see displacement, so you see new people coming in. But here's what's even more startling to me. The people who are accessing the jobs in those communities with the new industries are 50% white. So people of color who have been in communities for generations now see the neighborhood bringing in more jobs, more economic opportunity, but there's a disconnect. So your rent is rising, but you're not even getting the jobs mm -hmm. that could pay that rising rent. That's a crisis here, and it can't be ignored anymore. Because as much as I think affordable housing is critical, we need to create a new opportunity for people to work in this city. The comers who you were the first big elected in New York to endorse have talked a lot about universal rent control as an answer, which is you're sort of pivoting to the other side of this and the, the jobs people have and the income they have to afford rents. Um, how do you feel about that, uh, about that idea? And, you know, you were in Albany when, when some of these uh, shifts happened, I believe. So, so this is so... You know, I'm getting too deep into the weeds. So I stood with a, a broad coalition of housing activists um, who have certainly spoken about universal rent control, ending MCIs, do, doing away with vacancy decontrol, all very critical issues because a lot of this is the reason why we have this housing crisis. What is universal rent control? I'm going to get to it. I'm, 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 Define. I want to set it up for the viewers, right? So, <laughs> and I want, if I can, I just want to. So, one of the things that I, I think, from a strategic point of view, is usually over the last 20 years, housing activists and like-minded legislators, people come to Albany and they beg to hold on to what they have, and every time it gets chipped away. And you go up and say, please, just, just, 
don't do away with vacancy decontrol, just, just raise it a little bit so we can save another 5,000 apartments. So the deck has been stacked, but come November, the deck may not be stacked. We may have a majority in the state Senate. So I like a strategy where housing activists are saying, no, no, put everything on the table. We're gonna negotiate from strength. And I think that's fair because for too long, these act activists and advocates have negotiated from severe weakness. And this matters to our city more than anything. And we are gonna go to Albany, I'm gonna get on a bus like I used to, and we're gonna go fight for every rent protection we can because what's at stake is the backbone of the city. The people who built our city are the ones who are being forced into homeless shelters or forced to move out of the city. I'm mad as hell. I don't wanna take it anymore. My constituents don't wanna take it anymore. So wherever we come down on many of these proposals, they are going to be discussed in a serious way. The, the man is hell, I'm not going to take it anymore. I think they're remaking that movie shortly, so you have very good timing. One of the issues that uh, tenant advocates have argued about is the Erstat law, which gives Albany the power to make rent laws about New York City, which basically means someone who represents Schenectady, like Jim Tedisco, like somebody like him gets this have a vote on what happens in places like the apartment you're sitting in. How important is it for the Erstat law to be repealed? Look, we been fighting uh, for the right for the city to decide its own housing destiny. It's something I fully support uh, and it's something that is something we should demand because think about it. I would not know about the rental situation or the development situation in many of our great small towns around the state and I don't have that expertise. But they don't have that expertise about what's affordable in the city how we approach our precious housing stock. And I think we would have a new paradigm and a much better outcome. And I would even say it would be as good an outcome for landlords and developers as it would be for the city. Because there's one other thing I would argue. In addition to what's playing out in Albany, we have a new city charter revision commission. These charter revision commissions usually end badly. If you look at the mayor's charter revision commission, for example, it was a colossal minor you know, asterisk on, on the future of the city. <laughs> Voters may very well approve it, but now we get to do another one. Right. Let's put out the ideas we need to rethink development, rethink how we can empower communities. I will leave you with the thought of how we improve uh, the disgraceful way we deal as a city with women and minority-owned businesses. We have a $23 billion spend in the city. Only 4.9% of that money goes to women and minority-owned businesses. It's a disgrace. We need a chief diversity officer reporting directly to the mayor to change the culture and practice of these agencies. The best way to help neighborhoods <coughs> is called wealth creation. We have got to figure out ways for wealth creation to move from the business district in Manhattan to the corridors of every community, empowering small, uh, small store owners, empowering new entrepreneurs, people of color who will hire locally and also deserve a shot in this city. I've done a lot of work on this. This is going to be one of my major focuses with the Charter Vision Commission. So you say that there needs to be a chief diversity officer reporting directly to the mayor. So who should the mayor be after de Blasio leaves? Well, I'm going to leave that to you to <laughs> figure out over the next three years. So very last thing here, 
strategist hat on, we need you to handicap, lightning round. Everyone and their mother is running for public advocate. Um, we're saying that they're going to after November, assuming Tish wins, or that they're considering it. Um, also, some of their uncles and grandparents. Um, who are the three people we should be watching as this race develops, assuming it does? Well, no, no hedging. No hedging. Just three people to watch. Look, you know, I, I, it's hard to pick out three out of 25. No, you think about that. these things. You think about these things. Did you see that? that was genuine laughter <laughs> at the end of the show. You can um, name all 25 if you want. But yeah. can, I go back, can I go back to the, the charter for a second? You oh, love, you love this charter. I love this. Well, because this is how you make government better, right? You actually go out there and make proposals and, and, and see if we can accomplish the, the things we talk about. Mayor, I'm editing Mayor a game show buzzer yeah. right here. Mm. Okay. Right. We can look up the charter online. Let's talk about these. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about these okay, but, 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 interesting folks. But but names of of candidates for public advocate that you're watching. Look, I obviously Jamani ran an excellent race for lieutenant governor. Shocked the world. I think he's someone there that should be watched. I think Kirsten Foy. Non talk about non politician. Mm -hmm. you, you you talk about you know Kirsten and his advocacy work. And then there's a number of. Uh, other elected officials, um, former speakers, people who deserve to be heard in this process. Uh, I hope that through hearing from these candidates, some well-known, some not so well-known, that they will bring to this job a, a refresh of the office. And that could be the most interesting story of all. I want to ask you the lightning round question. Quick questions, quick answers, laugh track can take us out. All right, you ready? All right. Number one, are you running for mayor? Uh, we have to get through. There's no lightning crown with that. <laughs> Can I just make one suggestion? You got a, uh, a a small thing called the congressional elections, then the presidency, and then we get to mayor. Uh, right now, I'm just going to do my job as controller. I love it. Um, Thank you. Is is the working family? Expect that answer. I did not expect that answer. Is the working families party stronger or weaker after this primary in 2018 and what they tried to do with Cuomo? Mixed bag. Um, I think uh, obviously they, they didn't win the, a lot of the races on the statewide level, but they were very critical in the local anti-IDC effort. Okay, and since we are assuming you're running for mayor or have a future, what are we going to see when we look at your high school yearbook? Not that stuff. <laughs> no, not that crazy. Worth a shot. Last minute, what do you want to say to listeners? This is your open mic. This is your chance to say anything. Well, I would say to everyone who's tuning in, they have a special love of politics and government. And, you know, part of what um, we've talked about a little bit offline is that notion that politicians should engage in different forms. And I do feel a nostalgia for the Koch mayoralty, three press conferences a day, shouting questions back and forth, taking on reporters and reporters taking on you. So I think this format you know, 45 minutes and lightning round questions and you're not at a debate for office. I'm not at a mayoral debate or a controller nope. debate. So, but this is what people probably prep for weeks for at a debate. And for you to do this format, I think is changing. I want to see more transparency and more elected officials doing these kind of these kind of um, formats because I think it, it, you get things out of people. You may not get a declaration of candidates. You're never going to get that. <laughs> You'd be surprised. And, 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 well, the first one you get, you're going to put a trophy. It's like a uh, dollar that people put on. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, you know, you've been our second controller to come stop by, so we appreciate it. 
John Lou was our first, and you know we're, we're kind of the good luck charms. You know, Cynthia Nixon wasn't able to make it, and she didn't win. John Lou did come by, and he did win. So well, this is good. You know what? Can I, can I give? Can I give? That's our total yeah. unbiased, so, unscientific. So the other thing you should know just about political etiquette: we address each other as forty-three and forty-four. Really? So we will text and say, "Hey, forty-three, are you coming out and campaigning for me today?" And I will say, "On my way, forty-four." So just to let you know, he's the 43rd, I'm the 44th. I wanted to give you just some insight as to what really goes on. Maybe I'm getting <laughs> old, but I'm choking up. Is that, is that beautiful? <laughs> I think it's beautiful. And when you there text you know. de Blasio, does he say 107 say, hey, and 108? <laughs> <laughs> we don't have that kind of relationship, but, but, we're, but we're working on it. And the live soundtrack <laughs> kicks in. F-A-Q. This is huge. Huge. No, that's not the way you did it before. How did I do it? Huge. Huge. No, you did it normal. Huge. 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 Just go huge. Huge. Is that different than youths? Youths. Youths is youth. Two huge youths. Two huge Telling youths. untruths. Huge? Huge. <laughs> See, Ozzy David. says it right, right off the bat. Uh, I'm from Queens. Right. Queens Kid Ozzy Pabra. FAQ NYC comes to you every Thursday, mostly, thanks to a grant from Civil, the company using the blockchain to try to build a better economy that actually works for journalists and all of us. Subscribe at iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found and rate and review us and help spread the word if you like what you hear. Let us know what we've missed this week and should be doing in the coming ones. You can email us at harry at faq.nyc. <laughs> just, just, and go to faq.nyc to get all of our information. <laughs> yeah. Or just email Harry, blow up his inbox. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Or tweet at us at faqnyc. Also, we have an Instagram. Instagram us. Instagram. <laughs> Slip into our DMs. Please. Don't gram us, we'll gram you. <laughs> new, news, new, 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 news. New York City. F-A-Q. F-A-Q.